Gather round, it's time for the big pen. Hold down, kick out your heels, jump up and down, shut your eyes and whirl around. Reach out your hand and if no one's there, grab your own hand, dance round in the square. When you're doing the big pen, hold down, gotta have a holler. Oink, oink, oink. Uh, All right. It is time for the pig pen. Oink. Moo. Oink. Mm-hmm. Moo. Bad. Bad. Here's your congenital host. Moo. Yes, I have conjoined genitals, Mike, and I am the host. That's a wonderful trait to have. The other day, I was at a famous burrito establishment and having a delicious bowl of food. Okay. And a song came over the PA speakers that were in there. You know, it's sad that I am just like you and I've moved so far away from burrito and gone strictly with bowl. Mm -hmm. I like bowl. I do, too. I like at, steak. In this particular place, you know, he plays pretty hip, cool it does. music. You'll it have, does. you know, you'll hear, you'll hear Wilco and stuff like that in there, and more, mm-hmm. you know, kind of contemporary indie type stuff. And I heard this song, and I was like, "Ooh, this is really cool." I didn't make, couldn't make it out for a second. I didn't know who it was, but as it went on, I'm like, "Wait a second, this is a cover." Oh my god, they're covering this. This is amazing, and the original version of the song. I mean, I could not punch out fast enough. Really? Right? Yeah. But you like the cover. Oh, my God. Love the cover. So I, I want to play that one. And I also want to play an example of one that you, I know, Corby, probably already know uh, about this guy having this amazing ability to cover a weird song that maybe you don't like, but makes it his own and makes it sound beautiful. Play the first one. This is the original um, This is Iron Maiden's Wasted Years from like back in the 80s. Tell me if you remember this tune. Okay. I'm sure you spun this at the zoo or somebody around you did. Michael. I've never heard this before that I recall. Well, this and was, if I had, I couldn't get out of it fast enough. This was probably <laughs> one of their biggest commercial hits back in the day. Like they this was that off the album somewhere in time, and this was one that like made them worldwide. I mean, this was a huge, huge hard rock metal hit. Not ringing a bell? For me, it is. Yeah, I've heard it. You know this. Oh, yeah. No. But I don't even give stuff like this a chance. Really? No. So you listen to this, and all you hear is just a dumb rock song that's just a bunch of guitars on 10 and some idiot yelling and screaming. Basically. And maybe the style of the singer. Yeah. Let's take a listen to a cover. Now, this is what you heard in. No, no, no. This isn't it. I was saving the best one for last. Okay, this okay, one, okay. The one that I'm going to play for you is going to blow your mind. But this is a song that was on the Californication soundtrack. If you, if you guys, you didn't stick with it, but Mike, you I did. Didn't. You yeah. might remember this song. This is a man that we all know that's in a little bit of hot water lately covering Wasted mm-hmm. Years by Iron Maiden. Tell me if you like this. Seven seas I'm traveling on far and wide. But now 
me pass. Just a stranger to myself and all the things I sometimes do. It isn't me, but someone else. I close my eyes. I don't even know he did this. Another city goes by in the night. This is Ryan Adams, of course. Ain't it funny how it is? And my heart is lying there And will till my dying day So understand Don't waste your time always searching for those wasted years Too much time on my that hands really pretty? Yeah. You my and you listen to the lyrics and it's obviously it's about a guy that's on the road all the time and misses his woman right. or, or man, whatever the case may be. Oh, it's a song about longing, and it's really well written, and the right. lyrics are good. But, but it's devilfied in 1980. Yeah, yeah, and you soften it up with some finger picking and a, a whispery voice, and you realize that's just the skeleton of a really good tune. All right. This one's going to blow your mind. All right, this is the original version. I can't tell you how fast it takes me to hit the punch-out button on this jam. Oh, God. (laughs) How long for you, Holmes? No. I'm long gone by now. Really? This was such a big hit, though. When we were kids, yeah, this was massive. This album, this is Ario Speedwagon from their early 80s record, I think 81, 82, uh, High Infidelity, won a Grammy for this record. It was huge. It's the one that really put them on the map. Everybody had this album. This song was everywhere. And, and it was like the slow dance song at school, and it was very yeah. awkward. It brings back bad memories. Yeah. We'll let it roll up to the chorus, and then those that may not know this tune. Cheesy 80s rock ballad. Did they play this on the zoo? Oh, yeah. Of course. I guess everybody played this. Did you love it? No, I hated it. Even when it was brand new? I never liked them. I might have made out for this song once or twice. And she ate Oops. with my friend. I'm sure I tried. My friend Michael. Here comes your big chorus. I love you, but I'm choking. You use your mouth as a toilet. <laughs> and I'm gonna keep on smoking glue. Come on. <laughs> I don't wanna eat. I just gonna keep on sniffing glue. <laughs> that was your you and your fan friends little joke back in the day, right? That was a zoo joke. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, listen to this version of this song. This came out about three years ago by a band called Cigarettes After Sex. And this is what I heard in the burrito establishment. And it took me, it was I was damn near in the middle of the course before I realized, holy crap, they're covering that stupid REO Speedwagon song. But check out this version. Seen the look in my 
Mazzy Star. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna buy that. Yes, yeah. what a hauntingly cool yes. song. Very cool. Isn't that amazing? It's like something Leonard Cohen would have done or something. Yeah. What's it called? Cigarettes and Cigarettes after sex. Wow. And that's the thing about these is once you strip them down and get away from the poison that we've heard of it being overplayed or the or the yeah. treatment of the song that was too much metal guitars or whatever, you strip all that stuff away and get it to its core elements. Those are both really, oh, yeah. really good yeah, songs. There's a good song in there somewhere. And there's a reason why they were massive, massive, huge hits, because they had all those elements. And, man, I couldn't believe that when I heard that. I was, I had chills going, holy crap, that's REO Speedwagon. <laughs> those songs, too. Yeah. I'll hear something so familiar, but it, when it's done completely different like that, I'm like, wait a minute, what, what, what is this song? What? Like, I'll be singing it in my head over and over, like, not, you know, it's not that version, it's a version that I know, and I can't think of it. Yeah. That's probably one of them where I'd be like, it'd take me a while to figure it out. Well, That's this badass. is a phenomenon that we could, this this type of segment could come back numerous times. So if you ever have any that you can think of. Let's do it next. Shoot them my way. Let's do it next. That's the pen, bitches. Oink. B. The ticket. We have had very unfortunate developments in the world of rock and roll. This morning at about 4.30, I got a text message from Dan Ball saying, Oh my God, Chris Cornell is dead. As the news started to trickle out. And to be honest with you, I woke up at about 7.15 to read it and I I didn't believe it. Like I, It's one of those things where I'm like, no. Yeah. Cause this, I saw, is, this is an internet thing. I happen to be up at and looked on Twitter and very limited news at that point. And there were only two news sources reporting it. Not It hadn't caught on with everybody. So I was a little skeptical at first, but it seemed to be real. I just, yeah, because it didn't really say how. It just said he was dead. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, 
no, this guy's like 52 and in really good shape and eats right. And I know he's had drug issues off and on, but I know that rehab's been a big part of it too. So it never crossed my mind in a million years that the guy would hang himself. Turns out after a show, a Soundgarden show, the tour just kicked off in early May, a Soundgarden show in Detroit. He goes back to the hotel room very quickly and his wife, I'm assuming, had talked to him and had basically let her know. This is what it sounds like. I'm assuming that he was going to do this. And she called friends, security of the hotel. They were playing the MGM up there, I think. They're playing the Fox Theater in. Um, oh, okay, he was staying at that Detroit. Yeah, he was staying That's where we've been. He was staying at uh, one of those casino hotels. Yes. And she called and and uh, got people to go check the, on him in his room. The, the Grand, I believe. The Grand. Yeah. And when they went in there, security busted through the door and he was dead, hung himself. I, that still creeps me out. I can't believe that guy. He's got three kids who are kids still. These are little kids. Not not like four, but they're, Eight, you know, 11, 10, something like that. 12, 14. 13. Yeah. Two girls and a boy, a boy that looks just like him, except he's got long blonde hair. And I don't know what's going on. You know, who knows? But the performance... Um, I'm sure these people wrote a review before they knew the news of the show. And the Detroit Free Press wrote a very, very ominous review post-mortem. After knowing what had happened and looking back at the show, there were many things wrong. And here's the creepy part, and I told my wife this. And first off, I had to break the news to her. We have this giant picture. That's what I thought of first was, I didn't think of you, I thought of Julie. Yeah. I sent that text. Dude, it, it means a lot to her. She's a, th- this is her, this is number one on the rock and roll icons in her world is Cornell. So I had to go tell her in the kitchen as she was getting the kids ready. I was like, dude, it was, it was tough. I felt like I was telling someone about John Lennon dying and that I remember, or, or even worse, a friend. I know. And I, I remember like when I was a little kid and my friend's parents were crying over John Lennon. I'm like, what are you doing? What's going on here? You know, and not real or Elvis. And it meant a lot to her. So it was a it was a dark, dark day um, for her, for sure. But imagine playing a show and there's no doubt about it. He played his last show the entire time knowing what he was going to do. You think I think 100 percent. So did you read the whole article? I watched the entire um, recording, a pretty decent phone recording of them doing my wave. And I didn't see anything particularly odd or off. He sang well. I mean, that's that's a really hard band to... I've never thought they sounded good live. Right. It's a really difficult thing to do live, what they do on album, because it's very intricate. It's got to be really, really well mixed. And those vocals are... I mean, that's that, that's acrobatics is what, what he does. Yeah, he's, he's a four-octave singer. That's what they tell us. And he's all over the place, and it's difficult. But this it's a guy, lot of bases to cover for a four-piece. So let me just put it that way, because what they do is very dense. The writer for the Free Press says, even without the benefit of hindsight from the morning's news, it was clear that something wasn't right. He often staggered back and forth across the stage and seemed weak in his movements. Just one or two songs in, it was as if the energy had exited his body, and what was left was a shell of a man scrambling to do his job. He missed words, sometimes entire blocks, letting the crowd sing parts of the songs he didn't. Nobody complained. Uh, 
he was agitated at times. He walked off stage for several minutes before playing Been Away Too Long, causing the band to start over and leaving them playing instrumentals to fill in the gaps. When he came back on stage, he made a move-it-along motion with his hand. Uh, Band members laughed it off, but Cornell took to the mic to complain that he didn't have a backup guitar. They said... uh, Then there was Cornell's irritability. His vocals were often lagging, not in sync with the music. At times, he stopped singing completely and gave up for several seconds before catching back up with his bandmates. At the time, I chalked it up to being late in the tour, thinking about that his voice might be shot. Maybe he was exhausted. Several times throughout the night, he gave brief backstories to his songs, regaling the band's work with uh, the record label Sub Pop. And he says, then things took a dark turn before... My Wave started, the song Danny reference. There's a video of this, too, if you mm-hmm. go to the, was it Detroit Free Press? Yeah. Yeah. Saying, you can burn crosses on your lawn, I don't give an S, you can burn your house down, who cares, I don't, as long as you don't catch someone else's house on fire. Almost saying, you can kill yourself, just don't kill anyone else. He also, they say that the line that stuck with the guy the most was this. I feel bad for the next city. See, I think this dude's reading way too much into it. I mean, because My Wave is a song about independence and not following a trend and doing what you want. And he kind of clarified that in the in the first part of the, his little speech prior to that song, if you watch the video. And then as far as... He, he kept saying over and over about how much he loved Detroit. Right. And I, and I get that. I get the Detroit love, you know? That's a city that's gone through a lot. And people... It's a city that has a bunch of people in it that live there that really care about Detroit. It's got that that city loyalty thing like Chicago or New Orleans. Yeah. And so you're kind of proud to play there. So I, I think he's, what he was saying is like tonight was such a badass night because we're playing Detroit and we're having a great show that wherever we are tomorrow, they're not going to get the same experience. I know. I this but- writer, I, I read that too, and I, and I just couldn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't there. He killed himself 30 minutes after he walked off the stage. I know, but I'm just saying that... The, this wasn't I think, like, I think hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's really easy to look back and find little things here and there and qualify them because right. of the of what ultimately happened. But we don't know what happened. He might have got back to his hotel room, and who knows how much depression this guy suffered from. He just had a wave of it and couldn't deal. I mean, I've seen him a dozen times and have never seen anything like what this guy's describing okay. ever. He is sharp as a tack. He on wasn't stage. slurring his words or anything. I know, but I mean, just the fact that he was doing nothing and was distant and just kind of half-assing his way through it, like the guy says. I'd love to see a, a, a tape of the whole concert, which I'm sure exists. Oh, yeah. Two and a half hours, or two hours. Well, anyway, as far as this guy goes, um, Cornell and Soundgarden, without them, there is no musical <sighs> renaissance from the early 90s. And not just Seattle. I mean, people just pinpoint Seattle and they pinpoint the word grunge. And I love what Jason Isbell said today. He was like, you know what? I agree with the artists who were a part of it. It wasn't grunge. It was rock and roll. And as Jason said, we needed it. We needed it badly. And at the time, you did. You know, you really did. It was more of a a, a punk movement than anything to me. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. That's what it reminded me of. Post-punk. It's an attitude. It's not a sound. Right. People want to give it a name or a label of of what it sounded like, but it was more of the attitude. It was, 
It was getting rid of the spandex and the hairspray and just being yourself. Putting your jeans on, putting a t-shirt on, and going out and playing. Yes. Losing all of the luster, all of the all, right. the, all the glam, and just allowing you to be the the misfit kid right. that, that wants to be in a band. Not singing about money and, and strippers and, and yeah, and yes, all that stuff. Just getting down to basics. And they were the first ones to start it from that scene. And if you ask yeah, it anybody... Was, it was them and Mudhoney back in the day. Those were the ones. And then, uh, gosh, the, whatever became before Pearl Jam, Green River, I guess, which yeah. then turned into Mother Love Bone, yes. which then turned into Pearl Jam. Yes. It was like those three and were, were the, the, the first ones, really. Because they, the, they were all older. Who? Like like the Soundgarden guys. They've been doing yeah, it a yeah, couple yeah. years prior to, to Nirvana and Pearl Jam. So they got signed first, Michael, and... And this was in the late 80s. They got signed to a major label record in the 80s. And a lot of people in the Seattle scene were like, oh, pleh, sellouts, whatever. Um, they opened up for Guns N' Roses. There was a time when Axl Rose was like, I cannot believe that I'm allowing this guy to sing before me because of the power of his voice, which is a freak show. It's one of the all-time great rock and roll voices. Jimmy Page said, I never thought that anybody would come as close to replicating the range that Robert Plant had until I heard Chris Cornell. Yeah, and the, and the influ- influence of Zeppelin on Soundgarden is undeniable. Yeah, it is. It's vast. Um, but when they got signed, that kind of started their trek upwards, and that also got the other bands noticed in Seattle. Without Soundgarden, Nirvana probably breaks, Pearl Jam probably breaks, but they don't do it as quickly. People started focusing in on what was going on up there and to the likes of the Kurt Cobains of the world and Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl and Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready and those guys. This was music in Seattle. Yeah. This, what Chris Cornell did and what Soundgarden was doing. It was the Seattle sound. That was it. It was them and Mudhoney to me. That that dirgy, slowed down Black Sabbath, set, sped up Black Sabbath at times. It was very, very much that. It was depressing. It yeah, was dark. It, it was very dark. It was hopeless, you know. Yeah, it was. And it, um, was, and it was anything but commercial. I mean, they didn't. They didn't really get commercial until Super Unknown. Super Unknown in like '94 and '91 when they had. Uh, was that? When was that? Was Black Hole Sun and all that? That would no. That was '94. That was Black Hole Sun. Well, that was what I'm saying. That was on. Super, Super unknown. unknown. Yeah. But before that was... Bad Motor Finger. Was that the... Was there an album in between that? I, no. Okay. Well, in 91, when they had Bad Motor Finger, this song outshined... You'll know this, Michael. No, he won't. You might. I mean, tuned down to, like, B. Crank that up, I know. And you notice the Sabbath. The Zeppelin in it. Very heavy. so, man. Dude, this was heavy dark period. You don't know this? No, I don't believe I do. Wait till the chorus. You might know it.
Well, this kind of never crossed the radar screen until now. That, when I heard that first heard that song. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Who is this? And what are they doing? Because this is badass. They were big and bad and powerful and mean. And he was a tall, hulking man on stage with his long hair. And he kind of looked like a monster. He really did. Um, but it was immediately noticed, and it immediately became a thing. Let's take a break and come back and get into the mainstream part of it all and how this guy helped launch everything. All right, Chris Cornell was established as a pretty heavy rock god in the early 90s um, before any of this truly broke out into the mainstream. He was also roommates, Michael, with a guy named Andy Wood. And Andy Wood was known as the godfather of the whole scene up there in Seattle. He was the front man for Mother Love Bone, and they roomed together, and Andy Wood died of a heroin overdose. And so Chris Cornell had Soundgarden together. They'd put out um, a couple of records, including uh, Bad Motor Finger, which was their breakthrough. And then he wanted to do a tribute to his buddy, Andy Wood, mm -hmm. who had died. And so he put together this band called Temple of the Dog. Have you heard of them? I've heard the name. Okay. So Temple of the Dog consisted of him, former members of Mother Love Bone, who went on to be Pearl Jam. All right? So they put this tribute record together, a one-off deal, and the lead cut on this was needed. It was a duet, if you will, a rock and roll duet that Cornell had written, needed another singer. Well, at the time, they're fishing around and Mike McCready, the guitarist of Pearl Jam, is like, I think we got this guy that we want to start playing with. And from the cassette I've heard, he's got a really cool voice and maybe he would be the right fit for this. So really the first time anybody ever heard Eddie Vedder was on this song. And this really, I think, catapulted both Soundgarden and Pearl Jam to the next level with this song. This was a huge, huge song. It's called Hunger Strike. And listen to their two voices together. I don't mind stealing bread
song was huge. You heard that song, Michael? No. Dude. It's amazing. You really did go dark in the 90s, didn't you? It's unreal, no. man. This was... I'm telling you, man. This was inescapable to hear this music. It was. What, what happened you to you? Doing? I've never heard this song before. <laughs> Where were you? What were you doing? Not this, that's for sure. Were you in a, I don't know, like a chamber or something? Well, yeah, that that song really, really sparked things for both those bands. Pearl Jam went on with 10 soon after that, and, you know, they are what they are now. And then Soundgarden slowly morphed their way into the mainstream. Boy, in a big way, too. As they when all... Pearl Jam blew up before them. They had, like, a bigger explosion. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, soon... the album 10 was just... It was did so incredibly well. Yeah, I remember when that came out, and I did hear some stuff off that mm-hmm. that I liked quite a bit. That was Jeremy. That was yeah. Alive. That's Black. Yeah. That's Even Flow. Yeah, Garden Porch. All that stuff. Um, but when they released Super Unknown in 1994, and I believe this was the first single off of it, this put Soundgarden on equal footing with all of those bands. And then you had this triple. Oh, quadruple thing going on with Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Nirvana all at the same time. Yeah. It was like, whoa. And this peak, this was peak Seattle right here. You know this. Yeah. yeah. I think Spoonman might have been the lead turn off of this. Was it really? Yeah, for the, as far as okay. singles go. Yeah, this thing was a hit factory, this record. And it's not like they really went... I guess these songs are more polished. They're a little more melodic, too. Yeah. Definitely more hooks. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash So you got songs like Black Hole Sun, you have this song, Fell on Black Days, which is a great jam. Which is another... Yeah, well, this I knew too. This was a big one for them. You ask me, name the songs by Soundgarden that you know, those two will probably be the first ones. These two? Yeah. Yeah. song. You know Spoonman, Michael? Not by name. I might have to hear it. This riff? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I never knew what the name of it was, though. Well, I wasn't real happy about this record to begin with, just because it did get away from what I liked about them. Right. Which was guitars tuned down to A. (laughs) Right. An evil, dirgy, 
atonal, weird time signature music. They got a little polish, which is fine. Well, but it was kind of unexpected. They were about done yeah. by this point. After Super Unknown, um, they released Down on the Upside in 96. And they did have this song, which... Dude, do you know this one? This may be my favorite song of theirs. Burden in the hand, or burden in my hand. No, no, that one doesn't sound familiar. This was a huge hit. Hear the Zeppelin influence in there, Michael? Oh, yeah. the drums coming in here. started having creative differences. I think that his drug problems spiral out of control. And in 97, poof, done. And that's when Rick Rubin, about three years after the fact, he got himself clean. And Rick Rubin is the famed producer, of course, that has done everything, I think. That's when he recruited Chris to come play for Audio Slave. And Audio Slave is Tom Morello. From Rage Against the Machine. It's basically Rage without Zach. It is. It is. The singer. And to be honest with you, Cornell wrote as many hits as he did with Audio Slave uh, than he did with Soundgarden. Um, huge hit, rock and roll hits. At a time when rock and roll was not doing that well on the charts. This was, this was his Foo Fighters where Soundgarden was his Nirvana. Yeah. And you know Tom Morello. Tom Morello yeah. is the guy that you know Springsteen right. got to play guitar on that tour we saw. Yes. Does that sound familiar? No, but I dig it. It's kind of cool. Very cool. And you get why his voice is known as so haunting and rocky and versatile. God, man. He can do ballads. He can scream. He can hit high notes. Yeah. He can hit low notes. Let's see if you recognize this. Yeah, okay, now. This is also the song that Springsteen heard because of the guitar, which is like... You know that that yeah. I don't even know how to describe that guitar. Where he's like, who is that guy? Yeah, 
I think he really, after Audio Slave, did a couple of records, and then that was it. And again, he was trying to stay clean. Got his act back together, and they reformed Soundgarden in the early part of the teens here. All hey. the original guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much, right? You had yeah. Matt Shepard on bass. and Yeah, they were all there. Matt Cameron on drums. So Matt Cameron, their drummer, is Pearl Jam's drummer. And so they're very respectful of each other when one's out... You know, they get it. We're not doing anything. I mean, they share a drummer. They don't, they don't like, hey, let's get some guy to come play. Yeah. Now that's over. Clearly, he can focus on Pearl Jam, but they've shared a drummer for since the late 90s. This is a wicked pisser, man. Yeah, this is really a, is. this is a true rock giant. There's I mean, really, especially to us. I mean, this is like, this, it's me and Corby's contemporary. It really, really is. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, like, Ze- like Zeppelin and those guys, Mike, those, those dudes are essentially your age. You know? Yeah. All these Seattle dudes are guys that we grew up with in our 20s listening to. And it's just kind of... uh, This sucks. It really, really does. And I'm not saying that I'm the biggest Soundgarden fan in the world and followed Cornell's career as a solo artist and with Audio Slave and bought all the records. But, man, for about a three-year period, that, that was my jam. Well, the last three times I saw him were all by himself. And I think he really found his stroke. Yeah, he used to do solo stuff. A lot. Oh, yeah. Still does. Or, well, yeah. did. Yeah. Um, but I saw him at, at uh, five years ago today as Fitz, Chris Fitz, Fitzpatrick reminded me, five years ago today at Hangout solo. And then he played uh, House of Blues solo and then Majestic last year. And that, to me was way better than any Soundgarden mm. show I could see, Audio Slave show. He was so into it. He transformed every song that he had done into his own little acoustic version of it. And amazing. Absolutely amazing. So this was true solo. True Not solo. Him with new, no, just some him. other band. Nope. All him. So his last gig was in Detroit, Michigan, played at the Fox Theater. And they came out, came back out for their encore, and I can't remember the exact song that they played. It was called Beyond the Wheel, and it morphed in to another tune, and it was the last song that he ever performed on stage. We talked about the Zeppelin influence and then how telling it may have been because that song was in my time of dying. That's what he ended his live music career with, performing on stage before he killed himself just about an hour later. I was reading that review, and it said that. That's haunting. It really is. This is so sad. You know, I, I you don't know. Why. I just want to know why. I know there's got to be so much depression or so much drugs involved. And it really upsets me because the dude seemed to have it all together. He's got family, kids, young kids. And it, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. And you, you're pissed off at him for doing it. And but at the know? same time, you just don't know his. you don't know. No, his life. You, don't, no you don't. Of you course, don't you know don't know his life. Nope. Stay hard, Chris. Yep. Stay hard, bud. The ticket. So this is a uh, a theme that can be a recurring one as well, if you so choose. And thanks to our brave, brave football coach, Jason Garrett, for cussing so much during the all or nothing that the fake Jason Garrett was able to do a bit to try and duplicate what the real Jason Garrett was doing. And the part that made everybody laugh the hardest is when Gordon said the line of was talking about a breakfast that the coach was interested in breakfast He's placing his order with a I guess a Cowboys intern for breakfast right and I don't know what we have back there as far we, we've as we've got him yeah, placing got his order okay 
Also, if they have any organic f***ing strawberries, I'd like some of those. And uh, some really kick blueberries. I love those f***ing big-ass blueberries. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, love those butt-f***ing blueberries. <laughs> All right, that's, that'll do it. God, it's so brazen. <laughs> so crass. Love those butt-f***ing blueberries. <laughs> It's just such a strange qualifier for blueberries. It makes no sense. That's the beauty of it. Did you ever think that you would make it through this world where those two items were somehow combined? (laughs) No, I did not. Did anyone? I didn't. Uh, The odds, I I would have wagered any amount of money that I would get out of this mortal coil without those two things being linked. Right. Let alone by him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just so superfluous, man. I gotta oh try God. this one, you know, because that's I gotta do this one on on mine as well because that's the the blueberry is, and I can't eat one blueberry without no. thinking of butt no. blueberries. No, <laughs> not one. I know they're ruined. I eat them every day. Can you eat fruit? Not yes. anymore. So these were sent unsolicited. Two of them. Yeah. Yes, we got actually we got three of them unsolicited. Actually, let me back up. I think I have a total of five unsolicited. So if you send it to me, just stand by. We will play them, but we only have time for a couple today. Um, one of my buddies from high school's brother sent me one, which we'll play next week. Uh, but these were just two random ones. One from a girl, correct, Annie? Correct. She pulled and, it on her boyfriend or husband. Right. Would you like a girl saying that to you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Hey, no. You wouldn't? Come on. I don't think I would. Come on, man. Lighten up. Well, would Let you? it go, man. Would you? Yeah, I would. I think that'd be really funny. <laughs> that'd be really funny. By the way, BF and Blueberries has his own Twitter page now. He does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. I've seen his work. All right, so uh, here is the young lady going after her boyfriend. Was that the joke of the day? That was what they woke they woke Dan up with the tuba and the air horn and again and that was his joke. Um Um <laughs> Alright, she's trying to get her ducks in a I row love the lead in Um We need detergent. So I'm gonna go to the store. I gotta get up and do some reports and I'm going to go to the store probably while you're asleep but what uh, do you need anything from the grocery store I was going to get some butt and blueberries you know that chicken that we got at Costco the, the well I'm not going to Costco I, know, I, know, but I'm just I want butt and blueberries <laughs> know, you know the chicken that we did get at Costco yeah do they have anything like that at Albertsons or? I, I don't think so would you eat some butt blueberries? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they are. <laughs> they don't sound. They sound only half appetizing. <laughs> oh, that guy oh, was. Man. He was more worried about the chicken from I Costco. Yeah, yeah, that's all he cared about. He was yeah. totally nonplussed by that. <laughs> I know. That's a salty <laughs> old broad, man. If Boy, he's not it is. phased by that. that I would have turned around and been like, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> Why, what kind of blueberries are you going after here? <laughs> I love her laugh here at the end. It's <laughs> only half appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> 
punctuator at the end. <laughs> yeah, they sound only half appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> and it just stops. It doesn't really trail off. Yeah, very abrupt end there. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. She is. More her. Uh-huh. Okay. And then a fella tried it on his unsuspecting bride. So you said you wanted to go get those uh, acai bowls tomorrow? Yeah, that'd be fun. Do you know if they have a uh, like really really good butt and blueberries in them? understand that. Just, <laughs> she's got the line the line of the day coming up. I don't understand that. Just, you know, just blueberries are just like so butt high are you? <laughs> How high are you? <sighs> what? How high are you? <laughs> I just, just want to make sure that the place we're going to, that their blueberries are just butt good blueberries. They're good. I don't... I mean, yeah, I, like is oh, but f-ing is the top. But yeah, like the number. That yeah, they're what, just what you're the best. But blueberries we've ever had. I hope you're not but eating blueberries. <laughs> okay. Okay, he's okay. done. <laughs> So this turns into just a casual conversation between yes, them. Yes, and she's yes, free she's, and willing to roll yes. out, let that roll off her tongue. Hey, she'll go double his action and go in one more. <laughs> God, shocking. That's a salty old broad there, man. There you go. There's your fun with blueberries. All right. Not just any blueberries, though.